Well, I'm back for this week's podcast, and for the first time in three weeks, I'm back to by myself. It's a little bit lonely. I'm not going to lie, having guests on here was a whole lot of fun for me. Having my college coach, my dad, my brother the last three weeks, it changed how I think I want this to go. But this week, I don't have anybody to talk to, so you have to deal with just me. Um... So I'd like to apologize for my brother Mark last week. If you listen to it, he seems to have some sort of potato chip addiction. And the most comments I got other than about us breaking down laughing for over a full minute was tell your brother to stop eating potato chips on a microphone. So next time we'll try to uh, take care of that and be a little bit better. So an update on my three guests. They sort of have a competition going between Ron Albers, we call him Famer, my dad, and my brother. And my dad was the first to go, had a whole lot of listens, but he is now in second place. Famer, my college coach, blew him away. In the last uh, last few days, he took a pretty good lead in listens. And so, so far, he's first place. I believe I may owe him something from the Cincinnati Bengals pro shop soon. Uh, my brother, Mark, he's, I guess he's lame, dead last. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that one yet, check it out. There's some pretty funny moments to it. Some tennis, some pickleball, a whole lot of fun stuff. But those are my those are my three favorites so far. I'll have more guests on. I'm lining some up now. But today is just back to me. So we're going to cover a lot of tennis today and get back to some some things I, how I started this podcast. Um, but first, I've got to, and this is tennis related. So I had this addiction recently to the documentary on Netflix called Cheer. It's about the top two junior college cheerleading programs in the country. They're both in Texas. They're forty minutes apart, so there's a pretty big rivalry. If you haven't seen this documentary, I recommend it. If you're a coach. Um, I obviously have no ties to the cheerleading world. I don't know anything about it, but I do like to watch things involving coaches and coaching. What I took from this was basically at the end, after they've these teams practice incredibly hard, incredible amount of hours, and they practice in the wind and the heat and cold, outside, inside, one even bought a stage performing stage and had it set up in the parking lot they've just practiced an insane amount and at the end their last couple weeks navarro this team who's won 14 national championships they call i think it was navarro could have been the other one there's two there's one called trinity valley that's the one that's their big rival anyway they call the last couple weeks mining for tenths and what they mean is they're searching for tenths of a point because that's going to make the difference in whether they win a national championship or they don't. And they talk about, they did all the work, they practiced everything, they've got the routine down, they've got it. And then they start searching for the details. And I think on a tennis court, you can think about that. You spend so much time practicing private lessons, group lessons, ball machine, hitting partners, whatever you do. Once you have those things, you can swing a racket correctly, you're hitting it the way you want to, then you start looking for the real stuff, and that's what real players do. So you might learn how to hit two miles slower, two miles per hour faster, hit it a little bit harder, hit it an inch higher, an inch lower, 
lob one a foot deeper, more to the right, more to the left, come in one step quicker, whatever it is, you are searching for those extra details that can change a match, especially an even match that you and your opponent are, are similar. Um, so as you play, you, I think your goal should be to get to that point where you practice so much that you get to search for details, that you get to do the very minor things that can change the outcome of a match. So anyway, if you want to check it out, check it out. That's my recommendation. I think there's two there's two seasons, and I think if you're a coach or a any kind of athlete, a competitor, it's a pretty pretty good um, documentary about that. So I guess I'm a cheerleading fan now. Um, so like I mentioned, we are back to back to tennis. I actually was going to talk about pop tarts for a second, but I've decided to stick to tennis for this one. But Later, we can talk uh, possibly at another time. We will talk about my issue with Pop-Tarts. You can text me or email me. So I've been mentioning this coach's clinic. We finally had it yesterday um, at the WAC. We had over 60 high school coaches, volunteers, assistant coaches, varsity, JV, take three hours out of their day, their weekend, to come listen to myself, Tim Hartwick, and Annette Malloy speak. We gave presentations on Annette covered how to basically manage a JV lower level tennis team. A lot of a lot of cool stuff of how to handle all kinds of things that are thrown at you at that level, and that um, that situation is not easy. I wouldn't be very good at it, Um, but I just thought it was pretty neat that all these coaches wanted to come out to help their players have a better experience win more matches, enjoy themselves more. And it's a credit to the coaches who came out to do that. Um, If you couldn't make it, find another one. Each state has their own. Wisconsin has a couple coming up. But it was a pretty neat thing to do. Um, I got to speak an hour on doubles, which is, many of you know, is my favorite. And uh, I told them that it was pretty much my therapy. I get to talk about things that maybe I believe in that other coaches don't or players don't and try to show why. But it was a lot of fun. I do want to mention we had a couple coaches come out from college ranks um, promoting their team, looking for players. And um, Coach Hockett at UW-Stevens Point and Coach Picard from MATC, two college coaches that took three hours out of their day to come out and meet and greet high school, player, high school coaches to try to find players. And I just want to mention, like I did yesterday, there are so many opportunities for scholarships and walk-ons and any level can play college tennis. I told my story. I got the coach for two years, and it was great. I had players on my team that never touched a tennis racket. And I gave them money. I gave them scholarship money to play tennis. And I just think there's opportunities. So if you're a player, a coach, a parent, forget about the level. Start making emails, making phone calls, because there were two coaches yesterday who said, we will take anyone to play college tennis. And the the benefits of that are pretty enormous. So thanks to the, both those coaches. If you want to get connected with them, just let me know. Shoot me an email or a text, and I will find them for you. So on to the tennis. Tim, out of, at out of the WAC, he did a, a really good um, presentation on technique, which, again, if you all know me on the court, I don't, I'm not super technical. I like to make stuff up. And that's probably a, a detriment to me, but it's just how I think. Well, Tim can handle the the technique and the 
I think the science and the math and the physics and um, he led off talking about didn't really lead off but he talked a lot about the continental grip and afterwards I was talking with some friends and coaches um, up at the bar and a couple of them mentioned that they've been to these before and no one has ever taught like that no one has ever addressed simply the continental grip at one of these clinics and I've done dozens of these and I've never done it and I don't think I've ever seen anybody done it and I think why is because it's not the flashiest thing in the world. You put that on your your outline, talk about the continental grip, probably doesn't, it may not excite a lot of people, but I found that these coaches were very interested, and I think it should be done more, and Tim did a great job with it. And I want to talk about why. Um, why is it so important? And Tim talked about having every day doing something at the start of your team's practice or your player's practice if they don't have that grip to force them to use it, a game, bouncing the ball, some sort of lesson that they have to learn holding it in the right place. I totally agree with him. I personally, I won't take any students on a private lesson situation anymore that don't have the grip or aren't willing to do it because I know I can't help them. If they don't have that continental grip, I can't make them any better. They're as good as they're going to be. They're a 3-0 now. They're going to be 3-0 tomorrow. And they're going to be 3-0 and five years there's there's not much you can do um so i started thinking about why that is so important and so i thought we'd play a little game it's really just me because there's nobody currently listening to this but list off all of the shots that are done should be done with the continental grip shots that are available to you if you hold the racket right so i've got forehand volley backhand volley overhead drop shot Slice serve, kick serve, flat serve, lob, backhand slice, forehand slice, and I added tweener just because that's what you do on a tweener, and I'm so awesome at them. So if my math is good, and I know you all know it is, that's 11 shots on a tennis court by holding the racket one way. 11 different shots. Guess what the other grips are? Topspin forehand, topspin backhand. So you get 11 shots out of one way to hold the racket, or you get two. I, I know what I'm taking. If you were going to learn anything, it should have been the continental grip when you started playing. It should be now, um, because there's just so much more variety to that. So it to me, it's the Swiss Army knife of tennis. It's the duct tape of tennis. It will do everything for you. You can play an entire match, an entire career with only that grip, and do very, very well. You can even hit topspin with it. It's a little more difficult. But it does everything for you. If you're not using it, you got to start. Um, it doesn't matter to me what level you are. Once you start it, you got to stick with it. And that's another another issue. So many of you have probably tried it and quit. Couldn't, couldn't stand it. It was uncomfortable. It hurt. Low success rate. Could not get it over. You're swinging and missing. Embarrassed. I've seen all of those things. And then I've seen the other side when someone gets it and they pass everyone around them. And their serve, their volleys, all of those 11 shots are so much better. So my recommendation is if you haven't started it, start it tomorrow. Start it today. Start it the second you listen to this and get through the pain in the ass. I can say that. It's my podcast. 
get through that and promise you will be better on the other side. Again, I mentioned if you're stuck at a 3-5 and you want to make a 3-0 or a 4-0, check your grip. If you don't have it, you're not going to make it. That is my my coaching opinion. What I've seen uh, may mean nothing, but I've been around a little bit now. I also think if your coach isn't forcing you to do it in a private lesson situation, you're the coach you trust the most, not doing the job. You should ask them, hey, I'm ready. I'm. It's time to go. I, I need to improve. I'm not getting anywhere. This is the way to go. And any coach worth anything is going to be awesome. Let's do this. They're going to be pumped. They're going to prepare for you and be excited for you because they know how important it is. So don't let them get away with not teaching it to you. It's their job too. All right. So I got a question this week. I thought it was a really good one. It was over text. Again, I'm trying not to use um, names of people here, but this was a good question involving how to handle players who you believe to be cheating, making bad line calls consistently when you're playing social matches. Not necessarily USTA, although we will talk to that about that briefly, but it's a social match. You're at your club. You're at the park. And it's your friends. Okay? Someone's cheating you. Someone's calling them out consistently, and it's driving you crazy. How do you handle that? And I think it's complicated. I think there are multiple answers. I, eventually, I'll tell you what my what I think the best one is, which is probably different than what it was back when I was playing tennis. I did used to play tennis. I was okay. So the multiple answers, I'm going to tell you the few. Um, one, if, if you're playing and you're, it's a social match, it's competitive, but they're your friends. You're going to socialize with them. You're going to spend time at the club. You're going to spend time outside of tennis. See them a lot. There's a value to that in your tennis. It's a, it's a community. All of us... You know, my my old club, Moreland, I love that place. It was old and run down, but it had a, it, it had some character, and, and, and I like to go there because that was my tennis family. I wouldn't want to disrupt that. So I asked the question, are you willing to sort of blow up your play groups by causing drama? Is it Was that worth it to you? Is your social play worth enough for you to cause chaos? Are you willing to deal with a backlash? You call somebody out. You question them. You get into it with them. You have that little awkward or uncomfortable argument on the court and your other people see you. Do you really want to walk off the court next when you're going to socialize or have lunch or have a drink and have to deal with that? Are you the type of person that can handle that? Is it is it worth it? Are you willing to damage friendships? Because, Man, competition makes you do crazy things. We've all seen insane things. I've seen them on tennis courts and baseball fields, and every sport has their stuff. Do you want to be the one to start that? Are you willing to take that person across from you who you think may have made a bad call, and you make a comment, and now that friendship has started to fracture? Is that Again, all this comes back to what is, what's important to you. If you're really playing for fun, who cares? Is it worth the risk? Do you want to damage that when you've sort of chosen this match has no trophy? It's not a tournament. It means nothing to you. It should not affect your day. Um, although I solely believe winning is far better than losing. Once you drive home and you get back to your real life and your jobs and your family and your cats or whatever you do, do you want to be that person? And you may want to. I We'll talk about that in a minute. But sort of... Um, 
think about what, why you're there. Is it for fun? Is do you overall do you play tennis because it's it's enjoyable and you have good relationships and it makes you happy? Are you willing to risk that? I don't think most people are. All right, your second option, and this is from my coach Famer. Back when I was in college for the mighty Vincennes University Trailblazers, where I dominated the tennis courts with my mullet and my cut-off jean shorts and neon and earrings, because I was pretty happening. He let us get him back immediately. Someone cheats me. It's obvious. It's clear. That ball hit the line. Guess what I got to do on the very next shot? I'm calling theirs out. I don't care. He didn't care if it landed in the service box. If it was six feet inside the middle of the court, call it out, grab the ball, call the score, walk on. We're even. And see how that works. Good luck with that. I want to be there if you try that move. In college tennis at a high level, the different story, you can you can get away to that stuff. It's a lot of fun. Generally, that person will never call another bad call again, and it's over. But that is an option you could try. Again, let me know if you try that one. Um, but that's sort of the always be making it even plan, so you never get behind. They got you, you get them. Is a, It's a way to do it. I'm not advocating for that one, but it'll get the job done. Uh, third option, stop playing with them. Sorry, I had to get a drink. I talked too much. Just for, forget that group. Don't play with them anymore. Find a way to get out. Talk to the team captain. Talk to whoever runs the league. Talk to your club pro. Find a polite way to remove yourself from that league, that situation, because you know how it's going to end if you stay out there. You might be the person that just cannot hold back, and it's going to end badly, and you don't want it to, so you simply walk away. You can make something up if you don't want to play with them anymore. You Something came up at work, school family, whatever you think. That's an easy way to do it. When I have people, I teach, I think I teach really good double strategy. I think it's one of my um, things I enjoy to do. I've had some successful teams. But I'll get people who tell me, well, my partner doesn't play it right. And my first response usually is, find a new partner. Or they'll tell me, I did everything right, but the two or three people around me, they don't know how to switch or move or they can't. And I usually tell them, well, tell them to take a lesson. Don't play with them anymore. You can always find a good way around it. But simply stop it. Eliminate it. There's no drama to your group. You don't break any friendships. That is a way. The other option is, if it's not really an option, but if this is a USTA league match, it's a tournament. It's something that's important to you. You want to get the trophy. It has a value to you more than social play. Then I think you stick up for yourself. Question them on it. I despise the are you sure that everybody asks. Because what are they going to say? No, I'm not real sure. No no one responds with that. They get pissed off. They get annoyed. Now you've started, you've started something. But in a competitive match, I don't mind starting it. As long as you're prepared to finish it and follow through with it because the are you sure it doesn't do anything on a if they do it a couple times that's where you get into your getting them back thing getting an umpire if there's an umpire available having a conversation on a changeover that this ends you can't continue to play like that because the league matches that count you're keeping score your team could go to the state championship whatever it is 
Um, those are more important. So I think you should stick up for yourself for sure. Don't get pushed around if it happens. But this question was more of the social situation. And my choice, after all that said, let it go. Who cares? There's no effect on your life. And I think you ought to wait until someone else addresses it for you. Every league, every group has that person or persons who is the the hothead. The person is just their personality. They don't let stuff go. And they will eventually explode on them for you. And you don't have to do the dirty work. I think you'd be thankful for it if someone else does it for you. And you just get to watch. You get to watch the carnage and the chaos when someone who maybe doesn't has had enough. Can't control their emotions anymore they explode on this person and go after them for bad cause you're going to be so thankful that it's not you it won't be you won't be involved it won't be embarrassing you won't have to make an apology phone call later so i sort of think let somebody else do it why do you want to be the the one that has to deal with that those kind of things um it's all it's all different. I know people have said that the, the men's groups tend to deal with those things differently. Um, I probably agree a bit. Most of the men's things I see on the court with the men, because I'm not, they have their own stuff. I, I've, I've done my share of things like that, but they tend to do it right away, very quickly, on the court, move on, and they're done, right? It doesn't tend to, from what I've seen, I, I could be wrong, it doesn't tend to linger a whole lot, where I think on the women's side, sometimes it does. I think on the kid's side and parent side with cheating, it definitely does. Parents go off the court and they want to fight. Um, but some of it just comes down to who you are, and is it really important? Are you going to go home and see your dog or your cats or your kids or your husband or your wife? Does it really matter is sort of where I'm, I'm at with it. And also, I'd add to it, is it going to make you play better? If you make that decision to, all right, I'm going to question him or her now, what does that do to your mentality? Does it make you play better? I only know of one or two I've ever seen that got better when they got angry. McEnroe, spectacular. When he got mad, he he picked it up. I think Connors was similar to that. Most of the others didn't help. Smashing rackets. Accusing someone of cheating, it, it doesn't generally make you, anger doesn't generally make you better. Um, so you can do whatever you want. If you have any cool stories, I'd love to hear them about you calling somebody out, how it ended. Um, did any of them end well? Did you ask, you know, have a conversation and they apologized or said they were struggle, struggling with their seeing, their vision, or didn't, um, didn't realize they were doing it? Um, I, there may be cases like that. I, I hope so. But if you have anything like that, I'd love to hear it. Um, but I thought that was a really good question. And anybody else that has questions for me, please text them to me, email them to me. I'd love to talk about that stuff. It, it gives me some things to put on my list here as I go. So anyway, that's all I got for today. I know it's much shorter. It's just me. I wanted to get back, uh, like I said, back to tennis. And I don't believe I talked about anything but tennis. I wanted to, but I decided not to. So... Thanks again for listening. This was number 17, and I'm going to keep going until I decide not to or you tell me not to that I'm embarrassing myself. But thanks for listening. Hope to see you at the court soon, and uh, I'll talk to you all sometime. See ya.